Thank you for joining us for our Renewal City Church podcast. If you're looking for ways to get involved, join us on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. at the Roxy Theater in Longview. Or find us online at rcclongview.org. We hope you're blessed and that this message finds you well. You can turn your Bibles to the Gospel of John, chapter 10. Uh, We're just going to keep working through this text today. We've got a couple more weeks in the book of John together. And then this summer, we're going to be doing something a little bit different. We'll be jumping into... I said a couple more weeks, but actually next week. Next week, we're jumping into our summer stuff. So uh, next week, we're starting a series on the book of Acts, and we'll be doing it in the style of most of our summer sermon series since we started the church 10 years ago. Uh, We'll be inviting our elementary age kids to come and hang out with us in the front rows and and be a part of the teaching time with us, and, and in an effort for just us to be church family and us to to continue to seek uh, the benefits of intergenerational relationships and things like that, we're in inviting you uh, to to on a Sunday this this summer to to move yourself maybe twenty five feet more towards the front of the room and have a seat up there with the kids and and hang out with them during the teaching time and uh, and then we'll be doing kind of some discussions and stuff afterward. Anyhow. Um, we'll be getting to that soon, but today we're in the book of, of John chapter 10 and uh, looking to finish uh, chapter 10 today. Uh, this is where Jesus is talking uh, to the Jewish people, particularly to the religious leaders. He's been doing that for uh, about a chapter and a half now, and, and he's inviting them. He uses the analogy of a shepherd saying, I'm a shepherd, you're like sheep. And he invites the sheep to, to take up their cross and to follow him uh, in the way that the shepherd lives. Uh, how many of you have ever been responsible for leading people? Maybe you've guided somebody on a hike. Maybe you've uh, overseen. Anyone chaperoned a school field trip or taught a classroom? Anyone responsible for a classroom? So one of my hobbies is substitute teaching for the Kelso School District. And so I've, I've had to lead people occasionally in that setting. And... Um, and, and one time, some years ago, actually my daughter Clara, who's in fifth grade now, this is when she was in kindergarten, and it was just a couple of weeks into the school year, and her teacher asked if I would like to sub for kindergarten. And I thought to myself, I have a kindergartner. She's adorable. What? Yeah, that sounds great. I'll totally sub kindergarten. And so, so my experience in substitute teaching has been a delight. I... I Rarely have any issues with discipline with the kids. Uh, I love them. They love me. And we just have a great day together. Uh, it was not so in kindergarten. Oh, my goodness. I couldn't believe it. Um, you know, I got in there, and it would have been easy if I could have just gotten the kids to leave each other alone. But they don't do that in kin- They don't do that in a lot of ages. They really don't do that in kindergarten. And so all day long, it was like, he's talking to me. She's moving her feet. He touched my desk. I mean, just all day long, kids that are just bugging each other. I mean, at one point, there's a kid who is, is, you know, in his seat, and he's crying. He's having a very bad day. And I, I come over to compassionately ask him what's wrong. And, and it was like, you know, Someone had the colored pencil that he wanted that color. I mean, just the littlest things that kids are falling apart over. And 
Um, if I could just get them to leave each other alone, if I could just get them to not worry about what all the other kindergartners are doing, we might have had a good day. But as it was, we didn't have a good day. And no one's asked me to sub kindergarten ever since. Well, the word got out, I guess. Anyhow, in these analogies about sheep and, and flocks, if we're sheep and you think about what's the most dangerous thing that sheep could, could face, it's probably a wolf, right? I mean, it's some kind of a predator. That's what's dangerous for the sheep. But so often, the experience of the sheep is that they're far more aware and they're far more troubled by what the other sheep are doing than they even give a, a second thought to a wolf or a panther or something like that. Sheep wrestlers. Um, doesn't have the same ring as cattle wrestlers. But anyhow, in, in John chapter 16... Jesus makes mention of these other sheep that can have us, or John chapter 10, verse 16. Jesus mentions these other sheep that can have us so preoccupied, take so much of our focus. Uh, we'll pick things up in verse 14, uh, just to sort of set the scene, and, and then we'll get reading. So John chapter 10, verse 14 says, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep, and my sheep know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, I lay down my life for the sheep. Verse 16, he drops a bomb. I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen, and I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice, and there will be one flock and one shepherd. We'd cut it off, I think, right after the end of verse 15, and after church, someone was saying, hey, we didn't get to the most interesting verse in this chapter, the sheep from the other sheep pen. You know, what could it be? Is it aliens? Is it Gentiles? I think it's probably Gentiles, but it could be aliens, I guess. Um, the point is, it's outsiders. And Jesus is prepping the people right now saying, look, there are some people who are outside of this pen that I have in mind. I want them to be a part of this flock. It's just one flock. I'm the one shepherd over them all. They're also going to listen to my voice, and, and we're all going to be one flock with one shepherd. Jesus desires for there to be one flock that he is the one shepherd over. Now, this can be a hard thing for humanity to get behind because when we fell away from God, there's also a distinct move that we made away from one another. If you're familiar with the story of the garden, Adam and Eve eating the fruit, God comes and, and confronts them and asks them what they've done and, and or. Adam says, I was afraid, I was, I was hiding from you because I was naked. God says, who told you you were naked? And, and, and did you eat from the tree that I told you not to eat from? And in that moment, Adam, I imagine, takes a step away from Eve and says, this woman gave me the fruit of the tree. And so we have in the portrait of humanity a, a man and a woman who were meant to be one, doing everything together. They actually did this together. But because of the fall, suddenly we have them separating from one another. And they're pointing fingers at one another. And just a generation later, we have a brother killing his brother because that's how quickly humanity has, how the, quickly the relationship between humanity and the oneness and unity of humanity has fallen apart. And in the same way that God is committed to restoring the sheep to the shepherd, he's also committed to restoring the sheep pens back to one flock. 
the Apostle Paul starts his letter to the Ephesians. He's talking about God's redemptive work, and, and he's talking about where this is all meant to go, where the shepherd is leading us. And, and he says in verse 7 of chapter 1 of Ephesians, he says, In him, being in Christ, in Christ we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. In accordance with the riches of God's grace that he's lavished on us. And with all wisdom and understanding, God has made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he's purposed in Christ Jesus. Paul's saying that in Christ, there's this redemptive work that's happening. We're going to realize the fullness of God. There's forgiveness of our sins. And not only that, but God has made known to us this mystery of of his will. There's something that God is up to that he's made known to us. What could that be? He's purposed in Christ, verse 10, to put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment, he's going to bring all things in heaven and on earth into unity under Christ. What's the big picture of what Jesus, what God is doing through Jesus Christ? At the fullness of time, there's a date, probably not today, but out there somewhere, there's a date when his purpose is to bring all things in heaven and on earth into unity under Jesus Christ. You know, sometimes I wonder what is more miraculous. What, what is harder, I guess, for God to do? And maybe that's a stupid exercise. <laughs> What's harder for God to do? He can do anything. But, but I wonder... Is it harder for God to reunite us with himself, to reconcile us to himself? Or at times, is he finding it more challenging to reconcile us to one another? In so many ways, we're really not that far off from the kindergartners. God is there in the classroom teaching us, instructing us, and it would be nice to pay attention to what he's saying, but I cannot get over the kid who's kicking my desk. I just can't get over it. I'm completely lost, and I'm making zero progress on today's lesson. Because, look, he's kicking my desk. Uh, some years ago, when I spent a lot of time in a, a truck cab for a living, I listened to a lot of Christian radio, because that's what good Christians do when they're driving around. Nowadays, they do podcasts. I guess I'm dating myself talking about the radio. I, does anyone else wonder at times how the radio is still in business? I can tell you, ask me, ask me over coffee, and I'll explain to you how it works. It has to do with licensing and what they can play in places. But anyhow, um, I was listening to Christian radio all the time, and there was, there was one channel in particular that I would listen to a lot. Um, but eventually, I had to just tune away from it because it, it felt like 60% of the content, over half of the content on the channel was all about bad Christians. It was people criticizing how other believers are, are living their lives, doing their doing church, how they're doing things. And it was like at some point, I, you, you know when someone mentions to you something that you've never noticed before and then you just can't help but notice it everywhere? It was like at some point I was like, geez, Louise, they're talking about this again. I mean, I'm pretty sure and they have different pastors from different congregations preaching all the time. And the irony of it is that each one is pretty convinced that everyone but them is doing it wrong. And then they're followed the next half hour by somebody else who's sure that everyone but them is. And I, I just, I, I couldn't take it anymore. I, I actually uh, started listening to this again in the car. Um, I, I've done a couple of things in our car. We have a CD player. And so I dug out a bunch of CDs I hadn't listened to in a decade. And I've been listening to those. 
And then for some reason, I wandered into listening to radio again as well. So I need to get a Bluetooth player for my car so bad. Um, anyhow, I was listening to it again, and it was like it was the same thing again. We're, we're so much like the kindergarten. You know, we, we, we have God who's working at unifying us, and yet we say, I, I don't know how to handle this. They have a, the, one of the programs they feature is a call-in show, and, and, and the, part of the reason I think that the preachers are preaching this way is because this is America, and you give the customer what they want. So they have this call-in show, and people call into the show, and it's like over half of the questions are like, I have this Christian brother or sister who's not doing it right. I need you to affirm me that I'm right and they're wrong, right? You know, hey, this person believes once saved, always saved, and I believe you can lose your salvation. I'm calling in here for you to tell me that I'm right. Nobody will call the teacher and say, hey, will you tell me that I'm wrong? You know, no kid's going to raise their hand and say, teacher, I have the colored pencil he wants. <laughs> can you tell me to give it back to him? Like, that's not how we do it, right? When we're appealing to authority, we only appeal to authority if we think they're on our side. And so you've got this scenario where it, we're Christian kindergartners. We just can't get over what the other sheep are doing. So much energy goes into these scuffles among the sheep. I do understand a little bit of it, and that's partly because there are there are times when someone has stolen the pencil that you wanted, right? And if God is just, we need him to, to lay down the law in scenarios where we need his justice. And so there's energy going into maybe the little scuffles, but there are times that you might feel like, hey, look, I, I, I need to know what to do in this scenario because I feel like one of those sheep just bit me, and I would like to, to bite them back. And so I, I've got two stories that kind of go along these lines. This is a story from the Gospel of Luke. Uh, we've been reading the Gospel of John. This story, interestingly, is not recorded in the Gospel of John, but it's in the Gospel of Luke, and it's about the disciple John. And you'll probably see why he didn't write these ones down <laughs> as we get into them. Uh, Luke chapter 9, uh, Jesus has uh, just confronted the disciples. They've been arguing over who's the greatest, and he corrects them on all of that, finishes what he's saying, and then John pipes in and says, Master, we saw someone driving out demons in your name, and we tried to stop him because he was not one of us. Jesus replies, don't stop him. Whoever is not against you is for you. John's getting caught up so quickly, right? This person's doing this deliverance ministry in Jesus' name, and yet even though he's doing it in Jesus' name, I'm pretty sure he's not a part of us. I'm pretty sure he shouldn't be doing what he's doing. And he says, I tried to stop him. Jesus like, come on, John. That's not what you're supposed to be doing. As we move on, there's a story of them being mistreated. And so here is that scenario again where I, I feel like this sheep has bit me or kicked me. I, I want to be able to bite them or kick them back, preferably kick them because I care about what I put in my mouth. Um, story from, from Luke 9, the next story. So as the time approached for Jesus to be taken up to heaven, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. He sends messengers who go on ahead of him into these villages to tell them to get ready for him. So the master's coming through town. They're appealing to that first century Mideast sense of hospitality. Will someone take him in? Will someone care for him? And, and uh, they do this. They send him into a Samaritan village to get ready 
get things ready for him. But the people there did not welcome him because he's headed to Jerusalem. And if you're familiar with the story of the Gospels, you know there's tension between Samaritans and Jews. It's a bit of an audacious ask to say, will you host me? And, and the Samaritans say no. Well, when the disciples, James and John, saw this, they asked, Lord, do you want us to call down fire from heaven to destroy them? So they said, you can't stay at my house. And John and James are like, hey, you know what? Uh, we heard about this thing Elijah did in the Old Testament, you know, fire from heaven. We would like to try that. Jesus, this seems like the perfect opportunity to try this. We've been wronged by some of your sheep from another fold, and it's time to roast them. Jesus turns to them, and he rebukes them. And then his, he and his disciples just went to another village. I'm not sure what Jesus said when he rebuked him, but maybe the fact that Luke um, didn't write it down means it was even more sternly worded than the previous thing he said to John. I don't know, but it's like, come on, you guys aren't getting it. When you're looking for reasons to condemn the other sheep, you are not getting it. You're missing the point. And I think for us reading the story, we go, yeah, no, I agree. They're missing the point. Killing for a lack of hospitality sounds really, really harsh. But the reality is that as human beings, our revenge response, when we feel that we've been wronged and we come up with an idea on our own, you know, that knowledge of the good and evil thing, we come up with an idea on our own how to make it right, our revenge response mechanism is typically not very reasonable. It's rarely in right measure. We often magnify our own pain and our own suffering in our own minds, and then we feel totally justified in, in murdering somebody. It, I mean, it comes to that so quickly. This is not how Jesus looks at how his sheep should get along. We should get back to John chapter 10. How does Jesus look at this perspective? How does Jesus look at all of this? What's his perspective? Verse 17, he says, The reason my father loves me is I lay down my life. Who's he laying his life down for again? The sheep, right? All of the sheep. He just said, I've got sheep in another pen. I'm calling them in. They're going to hear my voice. And the reason that God loves me is I'm laying down my life for the sheep. He says, I lay it down only to take it up again. Verse 18, no one takes it from me, but I'm laying it down of my own accord. I have the authority to lay it down and the authority to take it up again. And this is the command I received from my father. What is he saying? One, he's saying, me and the father are on the same page about this. Two, he's saying, this is my choice. This is how I want to do it. I'm going to lay down my life for the sheep. It's his decision. It's his own authority at work in this whole thing that he's trying to do. One sheep, one, one sheep herd, one sheep flock, and one shepherd. This idea that, that he's woven by his authority. He's woven the reconciliation of God to humanity, the reconciliation of humanity to himself. He's woven that into the reconciliation of humanity to one another. It's all together as one redemptive work. And he's going to accomplish it all by laying down his life of his own free will because this is how he and the Father have agreed to do this. Jesus prays in John chapter 17 
And uh, we've read a lot of scripture today. I, I apologize for reading so much scripture in church. I don't know what I'm thinking. Um, in John chapter 17, Jesus is giving his last sermon to the disciples. We imagine that it, it happened on the day of the last supper and he's there with them. He's talking. He knows what's coming next. Um, this is the last thing he has before he's arrested. He finishes teaching and then he begins to pray for the disciples. And, and thankfully, John read it down, wrote it down. And in, in chapter 17, verse 20, Jesus says, my prayer is not for them alone, not just for the disciples, but I'm also praying for those who will believe in me through their message. That all of them may be one father, just as you and I are sorry, father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world would believe that you have sent me. I've given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me so that they may be brought to complete unity. And then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. In this last crucial talk and prayer session, this is what Jesus prays for. And it can be so tempting to diminish the importance of unity, especially when we're standing next to a Christian that we would love to divide ourselves from. But the reality is, if humanity is made in God's image, meant to be his physical representatives here on earth, ruling and reigning with him over creation, then a divided humanity paints a picture of a divided God. And we know that the Father and Son and Spirit are not divided with one another. They are in perfect unity. And yet when humanity is willing to walk in division while proclaiming that we are made in the image of God, we are presenting a God who is not. We're presenting a false God to the world. That's why this is so important. If we diminish this, if we say that it's not important, then you have to question our motives. I can't think of any reason to diminish the importance of unity other than there's a brother or a sister that I don't want to be identified with. I would prefer that they went elsewhere and worshiped a different God, right? You have to question our motives. And then if we've learned anything from history, if we've learned anything from, we did the book of Judges uh, a year or so ago, and, and one of the biggest takeaways for me in that, you probably have noticed that because I've mentioned it more than once. When you go through the book of Judges and you look at the numbers of people who died through the oppression, the Israelites killed far more Israelites than anybody else killed Israelites. They won the trophy. The greatest danger to God's people were God's people. When you look at the history of the church, especially through like the, the Dark Ages and into European history and into the Renaissance, like the Hundred Years' War in Europe where Christians were killing other Christians for a hundred years, not even like just, I mean, just Catholics and Protestants killing each other and then Protestants and Protestants killing each other. It's staggering. I would expect, I would fully expect that a unified body of Christ would stand out in today's society and the history of the world 
in a unique and prophetic way that we've probably never witnessed before because we just can't get along. But there's something remarkably, remarkably important about the church living in unity with one another. So much so that Jesus is praying for it, his last prayer before he's crucified. I think especially in today's world where di division, in, like in the United States of America today, where division has such a stronghold, if the church could stand and be committed to unity amongst one another, if we can get along, then we can claim to others that they should get along as well. Anyhow, back to John chapter 10 to close. Verse 19, the Jews who heard these words were again divided. Many of them said, he is demon-possessed and raving mad. Why should we listen to him? But then others said, these are not the sayings of a man who's possessed by a demon. And besides, could a demon open the eyes of the blind? The chapter leaves us with another picture of the people divided on who Jesus is. I think chapter 8 left us with that picture. Chapter 9 left us with that picture. Chapter 10 leaves us with that picture again. Who is this guy? We can't figure it out. And as controversial as Jesus is, I think there's, there's always going to be some division over who he is. You know, the sheep are called to be one. They're called, they're des the God desires that they walk in oneness. But the reality is we have a picture of the end of time, like Matthew 25, the sheep and the goats, right? And so Jesus is going to separate the sheep and the goats. There is a distinction between believers and non-believers. Other accounts of, of like judgment day have the angels separating the, the saved from the unsaved, as it were. It is interesting, though, when you look at this, there is nowhere in Scripture that humans are entrusted with the responsibility to, on judgment day, separate the good from the bad. We aren't given that responsibility. We do get to judge the angels, sounds like, but we don't get the responsibility of judging one another. That is God's alone. Where do we draw the line on unity? I think we draw the line on unity with Jesus Christ. And that's it. If we can agree on who Jesus is, then that's where we should draw the line. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul says to those who uh, are there in the church in Corinth, he says, look, you guys were formerly led astray by idols. You were clueless. You were lost. You didn't know what you were doing. Therefore, I want you to know that anyone who is speaking by the Spirit of God said, sorry, no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God could say, Jesus be cursed, and no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except by the Spirit of God, except by the Holy Spirit, or except in the Holy Spirit. Paul's saying to this church in Corinth who believed many different things about many different gods for many different years and been confused, he says, I want to simplify it for you. Here's what you need to know. Those who are speaking by the Spirit of God can say, Jesus is Lord. And no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God would say, Jesus, be cursed. This is the line. Jesus. I was in an event uh, a couple of months ago. We had a, a guest speaker there. It was a bunch of pastors and, and community leaders uh, from our community at this event. Guest speakers in there talking about us working together. Talking about, you know, uh, the church working together, Christians working together, uh, the church working with Christian businessmen and, and, and Christian uh, municipality workers and all of that. And, and he, he finishes his little speech, and then he poses the question to the audience, hey, what would it look like 
for all of you guys to work together, looking for some audience response. And the hands start to go up. And it was absolutely heartbreaking because what we got then, what the audience response responded with was like caveat after caveat and excuse after excuse. Well, I can work with people who I'm similarly aligned with theologically on everything, right? I, I can work with people who, uh, who, well, you know, Proverbs says, how can two people walk together unless they're in agreement? So I can work with people who already agree with me. That's the line. That's the excuse. I need people to be just like me, and then I can be unified with them. Guys, that's never going to happen. That's not what Jesus is going for. If he's bringing all things in heaven on earth and on earth into unity under Christ, and you look across the spectrum of all of humanity, like you can see that his redemptive work is not just about finding everyone who looks the same way, talks the same way, believes all the same things, and using them and cutting everybody else off. That's not what he's looking for. Wouldn't it be great if the line for the church was, you say Jesus is Lord, I guess I'm going to trust the Apostle Paul knew what he was talking about when he said, that's evidence of the Holy Spirit at work in your life. And if he's at work in your life, that's good enough for me. Let's figure out what we can do together. Maybe we can't do everything together, but we should be able to do something together, just sort of practicing for heaven. We're going to be there together someday. We might as well try it out now. I'm not saying that there's no place for church discipline. I'm not saying that there's there's that we should never confront sin in our midst. I, I'm not saying that at all. It is interesting. I, I, I'd have to check the math, but I think half the times that Paul writes to somebody instructing them to kick somebody out of the church, I think he only did it twice. So half the times, one of the times, guess who, guess who was... Who was going to get kicked out? The divisive guy. So warn that divisive man once, maybe twice. He's got two more chances. Then he's got to be out. Because division like that has no place in the kingdom of God. So I'm not saying there's not room or places for this. But I really, really think that we cannot forget about how easily we're tripped up by pride, our own insecurities, our own self-righteousness. And, and and I personally would much rather spend my life letting a few goats hang out with us and let Jesus sort it out at the end than be the one who's chasing other sheep away. That's just not how God designed us to live. I'm far more committed toward living and working toward John 17 Christianity rather than Luke chapter 9, right? Like, hey, he's not one of us. Get him out of here. Like, no, that's not for us. That's not what God has called us to do. He's called us to something higher and something greater, and, and he's committed to empowering us to do so. Uh, let's pray, then I'll give you 10 minutes to talk in some groups about this. Lord, uh, we, just, we just accept that this is part of what you're doing that your work in reconciling us to yourself is happening at the same time in tandem, fully connected to your work of reconciling us to one another. Forgive us for our divisive moments and empower us by your Holy Spirit to live in holy unity with one another.
it sounds dangerous, it sounds treacherous, it sounds difficult. I don't think there's any way we can do it unless you lead us there yourself and take us by the hand. And so we just ask you, Holy Spirit, to give us wisdom. Help us to love one another the way that you have loved us. Empower us to lay our lives down for one another the way that you have promised to. And, uh, and make us one, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.